This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello, welcome. You're listening to Your Money Business Radio Series XM Channel 132, uh, powered by the Wharton School. And uh, this is Kent Smothers, a professor of the Wharton campus in Philadelphia. And we're still not doing live shows uh, due to the ongoing pan- pandemic. But if you want to look for a fee only financial advisor, you can go with go to my website, kent.money.com. I have a large and growing network of the only financial advisors uh, there, again, kentonmoney.com. So if you received uh, some federal stimulus aid for your small business last year, uh, there are some tax issues that you certainly should be aware of. My guest today is an expert in that area. He's been with us before. Um, uh, and uh, E. Martin Davidoff is uh, the national managing partner in the tax controversy practice of Prager Matus um, uh, and uh, CPAs. is also a member of their international uh, group. Uh, welcome back to the show, Marty. Nice to be here. Thank you very much, Kent. So let's talk about a little bit about you know taxes and a lot, some people they maybe not be able to pay the taxes that they owe for 2020 by the April 15th deadline. Uh, where are some options? Well, there there are a lot of options out on the table. If you owe less than two hundred fifty thousand dollars, the IRS will allow you to pay in an installment agreement uh, over the their ability to collect over ten years. So I would say that uh, if it's under two hundred fifty thousand dollars, you can go online to the IRS or or have your uh, I would call your family CPA help you out. And uh, there's no financial disclosure required. This is a change that just happened in November with new announcements. It used to be it had to be under. 50,000, but now they'll do up to uh, 250,000 and you don't have to provide any financial disclosure. You just say, I'd like an installment agreement and you could probably do this online at this point. Yeah. And are there like interest and tax, you know, penalties and things like that? How does that work? Uh, interest is at this point in time, it's about 5% per annum. It does vary every quarter. So it could go 4% or 6% depending where the rates are, but it's been 5% uh, for the last uh, year or so. And there's penalties that run anywhere from a quarter percent to a half a percent per month. Uh, those penalties for late payment max out at 25%. But I would urge your people, even if you owe money, file on time because there's additional penalties for filing late. Yeah, I mean, it's, so th- certainly this is not a free loan. You don't want to exploit it. It's a costly loan in some ways. Um, so we, and like you said, you even have enhanced penalties if you fail to file it itself. So many people are also working at home for their employers. In some cases, there's um, no longer an office, you know, to work in. So suppose an employee sets up an area at home to work in. Um, talk about you know, what he or she can do about deducting that cost. Well, if you're an employee, you can't deduct the cost at all. The 2017 uh, Tax Act uh, eliminated all miscellaneous deductions. So it, it, and even before that, you know, even if people could deduct them, they had to be over a threshold and they were subject to the alternative minimum tax at the time. But right now, if you're an employee working at home and incurring expenditures, you can't deduct anything. But what you may want to do, you may want to negotiate with your employer and say, look, you know, can you 
reimburse me for my costs. I'll account to you through what is called an accountable plan, reimburse me and maybe pay me a little less in salary. And then after tax, everybody's a win-win. Yeah, because they can deduct those. Those are cost of business for your employer uh, perspective. And that's like if you're a W-2 worker. Now, suppose that you think of a, a person, they have their own business and they set up their own office at home. Talk about that case in terms of deduction. Well, if you're in your own home office and you meet the requirements of the law, which is the space is exclusively used for your business, and it doesn't have to be a whole room, it could be a partial space that it's exclusive use for your business, uh, you can deduct the cost of that home, uh, a percentage of, depending upon the percentage of, of the home that it takes, it could be uh, the, the interest, the real estate taxes on your mortgage payments, the utilities, uh, depreciation on your home. And if they go to the irs.gov and look for publication 587, um, it, it will lay that all out for you on how to use the home office. Yeah. And it, at one point, people always said you have to have a door that separates it from the rest of your own. That's no that's no longer true and, and actually yeah. has not been true. Uh, it, 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 if it's an exclusive area, like if I'm using a third of my living room and yeah. I have four rooms in my house, I can deduct a twelfth of the home as long as that area is used exclusively for business. That's right. And, that, and that's the key is the exclusive use, not so much whether it looks like a separate room or, or not. Now, suppose you, you kind of hit the, this case uh, earlier, and that is now suppose you're, you are an employee and your employer uh, reimburses you for the cost of your home office. Uh, what's that setup look like in terms of, I assume in that case, the employer gets a tax deduction because of the cost of business? Yes. Well, first of all, to avoid it being not taxable to the employee, you have yeah. to account to your employer. You can't just say, give me a thousand a month for my home office, because then that would be income for you. Right. So if, if you go to your go to your employer and say, listen, you know, I'd, you know, I'd like to be reimbursed. I will account to you for my costs. There are really two sets of costs. There's my out-of-pocket for office supplies and the like, and that's that's pretty routine and normal and 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 the like. But if you're doing my my home office, you're saying, okay, I want you to pick up a piece of my mortgage and my real estate taxes. You know, I'm using 10% of my home, and in that second category, you might negotiate. Listen, we I'll account to you for my home office expenses. Um, and it's okay if you reduce my salary by the exact same amount. And this way, as long as you're accounting for it and you're giving them all the documentation, uh, they'll, it'll end up costing them same, maybe even less because they're not paying payroll taxes on that portion of the salary. But very few employers are willing to do that. They, they don't want to get involved in the paperwork. They don't want to get involved in the complexity. And so really you have a, a law which is you know, in many ways unfair because it's not letting you uh, d- deduct these costs. Yeah, and it seems like one of those things that, you know, it, it becomes more of the norm that people are going to be working remotely, then I would hope that employers would revisit that. It's it's pretty non-standard right now, but you can, you know, more and more companies are letting people, you know, work remotely. So if you are now working at home and in a different state than your usual office, 
so you know often the fact that's happened at Penn you know Penn is in you know Pennsylvania obviously uh, but some of the workers at Penn are working from home say in New Jersey uh, what what state are you following in? well Pennsylvania and New Jersey are unique and then they have this, uh, this yeah. written document that says if you live in Pennsylvania and work in New Jersey you pay Pennsylvania if you I know I, I, live in New I, Jersey. I, I, I use that example as like my that's that okay but let me let me example. let yeah. me use New York New Jersey for example yes yeah so you know there's actually a current lawsuit uh, whereby you know there, there's a current lawsuit by New Jersey that's saying listen New York is t saying that the people here working in New Jersey strictly because of COVID should be taxed in New York even though they're not setting foot in New York and New York has taken the position, unless you have an established office that meets many requirements, which most people working at home do not meet, we're going to tax you in New York based upon the office that you used to go to in New York. And New Jersey is basically saying, you know, we don't think that's right. But they're doing this at a very high macro government level. So what's happening is that the taxpayer is sitting, you know, the taxpayer is sitting here, what do I do? And what we're, we're advising people, sir, first of all, keep a close ear to the news on this issue because there are, you know, lawsuits going through the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, there may be some congressional legislation that will help this. But if all of that fails, we would basically say in the New York, New Jersey case, we would say, look, all right, New Jerseyans, if New York wants to tax under their rules and they haven't changed it by the time you file, pay the tax, take the credit to New Jersey. To you individually, it doesn't make a difference. To the state, if 500,000 people do that, it makes a difference. But that's the way it's been anyway. People have been paying New York. So I would, I would venture to say that, that you know, if people want to avoid having a mess and spending a lot of time with the state of New York, they're probably best being a bit conservative and recapitulating to New York. But hopefully there'll be some clear guidance. And if not, you know, um, that's because if not, we say take what is going to be for you an easier position that you're not going to have to be, you know, put in the middle of a very large and nasty uh, set of examinations by the state of New York. Just yeah, you know, I mean, give it to them. And You're basically saying the status quo is probably the safest point. I mean, you yes. could imagine New Jersey coming coming after you and say, hey, you were supposed to follow, in our opinion, in New Jersey, but yeah, probably um, they're going to be a little bit more reasonable in saying at least you're following the status quo and you know, the argument yeah. and, we're having and really is not with our taxpayers, but with New York. Yeah, and you will actually you will actually be filing in New Jersey. You will be actually filing in New Jersey. You'll just be yeah. taking a credit for what you're paying to the feds. Right, right. Uh, so now talk. Let's talk about the PP uh, P loan, um, which has been or will be say forgiven. Um, what is the tax impact of such forgiveness and expenses? You know, uh, paid with a loan. Well, there was a huge change made on December 28th when they uh, passed the new Consolidated Act for 2021, a very big change. Yeah. Up until that time, they were saying, listen, the income from the PP loan is not taxable, but neither are the expenses that you pay with the PPP loan. Now, Congress overrode that, and, and the IRS was right in that interpretation. The the Congress came in and the president came in and they changed the law. And they basically said, you know, the income 
is not taxable, but it will add to your tax basis. It'll be tax-free income. And the expenditure, the expenditure that you pay will now be deductible. So basically, people are going to end up with tax-free income or losses. Uh, and one of the, if they end up with a loss, let's say they broke even for the year, but you know, when you count the loan as, as you know, the forgivable loan, and then it's, it's the forgiveness that becomes tax-free income. Until it's forgiven, nothing happens. But if you're in a pass-through entity, it gets complex. If you're in a pass-through entity and in 2020 the loan wasn't forgiven and it gets forgiven in 2021, you may have a limitation on losses in 2020 and you really need to get your CPA to check those numbers and check the law. But the good news is that you can deduct the expenditures where you're using the tax-free money to make those payments. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a pretty generous uh, change because you you get the income without paying taxes, but you still get to deduct the deduct the expenses. That that's pretty remarkable. Um, that 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 is so, that is very very remarkable and helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, remarkable to you as the taxpayer, not so much for the federal deficit, which no one seems to care about anymore. But in any case, I suppose that your business was seriously impacted by COVID-19, but you're you're still paying your employees, uh, you know, their salaries and so forth. Talk about federal tax benefits that employers should be aware of. Well, there, there's federal tax benefits and there are some really important things that you need to be aware of. So let me go, go through them. The first yeah. thing is there's an employee retention tax credit. And I'm talking now about the new law that just passed on December 28th. For 2021, you can get up to $14,000 per employee if you, if you, for the first two quarters of 2021. So if the first quarter, if you pay at least 10,000 employees, you get 70%. The second quarter, you pay 10,000, you get another 70%. That's 7,000, $7,000, And that's only, and you get that if your gross income of your business went down 20%, 2020 versus 19 or 2021 versus 19. So there's this 20% rule that you have to take a look at and it's a lot of money. And before you file yeah. your first quarter 2021 payroll tax returns, make sure you're taking a close look at this. See if you qualify. Very, very important and a lot of money. And on the PPP side of this, there, there's a round two of money. And a lot of minorities and women-owned business didn't get any money out of the first round because the banks, for whatever reason, they didn't get there in time or the banks turned them down. There's now a specific set-aside, this targeted relief for low-income communities, um, minorities, and, and veterans. Mm. And, and, and there's a set aside also for $40 billion for small businesses with 10 or less employees in low and moderate neighborhoods. They're limited to 250,000, but there's a lot of money available and the portals are opening very, very shortly for banks and credit cards and other financial institutions. They even hear that PayPal may have some of this. Yeah, which is a, a quite remarkable distribution as well. And, and finally, I didn't think we have enough time to squeeze this one then, but it looks like we have another couple minutes here. So suppose that you have a small business uh, and you are being audited by the IRS. I mean, you have a good CPA, but as you 
mentioned earlier, your CPA is not always, you know, going to know everything. So explain how you should proceed with that type of an audit if you are facing an audit. Uh, should you bring your CPA along, but what else should you be doing? Well, you should be a no-show at any audit. If there is a, it, let's say we're talking about not a correspondence audit where they're asking very simple questions, but a full-blown audit where somebody's going to come out to your business and take a look at it. First of all, you know, can if you go to your, your family doctor, who you probably love and adore and takes good care of you, all right, and he's, he notices, hey, uh, you got a arrhythmia in your heart. Do you think you're going to ask him to take care of your heart or is he going to send you to a cardiologist? Right. Now he's a very, yeah. Yeah, he's going to send you a cardiologist. So he's a very good doctor, your family physician, but he's not a specialist. He's not going to do brain surgery. He's not going to do heart surgery. So people have this unfair, um, this very unfair thinking about their CPA. CPAs are great at doing your tax returns, making sure that your, your business is financially sound, helping you to understand your financials, but they're not specialists. They're not heart surgeons. Yeah. And tax controversy is a specialty. So when you're, when you're coming to an audit, a tax examination of an audit, you really should talk to a specialist and at least as a consultation. Now your specialists will work with your CPA, but the specialist, whether it's a tax attorney, a CPA or an enrolled agent, that specialist is somebody who all the time is dealing with the IRS on controversy matters, all right? Yeah. Just like the heart surgeons doing heart surgery all the time. And so um, the, your audience should understand that these specialists are necessary for these kinds of things. There are other things your CPA can do in the collection area, but when it comes to an audit, they should be seeking the advice of, uh, of a specialist, even if, even if to help their CPA and you decide how to respond to the initial notices. Excellent. Fantastic. And that's, that's what you do. So uh, it's great to have you um, uh, plug that and uh, mention that. So Marty, fantastic job. Thanks for coming back Thank to the you. show. It's great to have you. It's great and to be you, here. And you can learn more about Marty's firm by going to their website, PragerMetis.com, PragerMetis.com. I'm Ken Smith. This is Your Money. Remember, you can connect with me by going to my website, KenThatMoney.com. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.